Hello and welcome to the Cat Maste Chronicles podcast. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from pet owners about their projects, businesses and ventures. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, founder of Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with pet owners to chat about their individual journeys and of course, their beloved pets. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Cat Mass Day Chronicles podcast. This week I'm joined by Cheryl Muir. She is a relationship expert who specializes in helping high-achieving men and women overcome dating drama and build healthy relationships. Cheryl approached me with a very interesting topic in mind to discuss on the podcast, which is to unpack and decipher the crazy cat lady label, what this stereotype means and how it may create shame and rejection of part of ourselves. Plus, why it's important to embrace the love of our feline friends and how this can help us open our hearts and understand ourselves a bit better. I'm intrigued to find out more about Cheryl and what she does. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Cheryl. I've briefly introduced you already, but if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about particularly this this crazy cat lady stereotype and label. It's something that's really on my heart and in my mind. So I hope we can really help people today think about this a little bit differently. So I'll introduce myself real quick. So I'm Cheryl Muir. I'm a relationship expert, relationship whisperer. And really what I specialize in is helping high achieving people overcome dating drama. So that means choosing partners they know that are not good for them, even though they're smart and they consciously know they're doing it. They they feel this pull towards people that are not meeting their needs, who are unavailable. And I really help them understand why they're doing it, where that comes from and how to break free. So it's it's quite a a niche area of relationships and dating that I'm in, but it's one that I know a lot of really intelligent people struggle with. Um, So really that's me. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek into my life. I know before we started recording, we were just talking about uh, morning routines. So something Mm. you'll know about me is that I'm really passionate about a morning routine. So I've just finished up my routine here and that's something that really gives me a lot of energy for the day so yeah that's something that I really advocate for for my clients as well. I'm intrigued what what does if you don't mind sharing what does your morning um, routine include? Yeah I'm happy to it's, it's a bit extra and it's a bit <laughs> um, it's a bit full on. Okay. I've got, so I've got, oh, I'm very like analytical and I like order and structure so I've, I've gone with my personality type and really embraced that and mm. not fought against who I am and, and what I like so I've wrote it on a whiteboard so 6am I get up then I have my coffee I have my breakfast I work out by 6.30 by 7.15 I do Wim Hof breath work mm. um, which is basically a process of deep breathing and then breath holds um, very very good for the immune system and the nervous system and, and our emotions and then I do um, by 7 30 I do priming which is a Tony Robbins technique um, mm. people can just look up Tony Robbins priming on YouTube and there's a, like a 15 minute video there where he takes you through an exercise of gratitude and um, intention setting and all of that and then by 7 45 8 a.m I'm ready to jump in the shower and I switch the shower to cold again with the Wim Hof thing mm-hmm. and yeah then I you know put my makeup on get dressed and um, my day starts around 8 45 9 o'clock so that that really helps me and, and one of the reasons that's important is if we've come from quite a chaotic family home when we were children we can sometimes have this um, rebellion from structure like we don't want to be um, like controlled or into much structure but it's actually really really good for our nervous systems to know what to expect and to really create that that order and structure for ourselves that we maybe didn't have when we were small so um, yeah I do try and practice what I preach definitely. That is very inspirational. And you know what? I actually do two of those things. I do. I try to do the breath work. Yeah. And I started taking cold showers about two months ago. It changed my life, honestly. Oh, I love it. Gives me so much energy. I do it before my workout, actually. And then I take a hot shower after I work out. But yeah, it's amazing. 
So I'm so glad that you do that. <laughs> I love that you do it too. And hey, we might need to get you up to the Lake District here and get you doing some wild swimming in the winter. I'm sure you oh, love it. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about where it all began, Cheryl. When yeah. and why did you decide that you wanted to become a relationship expert? Well, I think choice is really important in life and free will is a very real thing. But I also felt like I didn't, I almost didn't have a choice but to get into this work because I feel like I came here to do this in that it's something I struggled with for so long myself. And then once I figured it out, I I felt like I had a duty to help other people with it. Um, And what I did is I was in, I was in counseling, I'd read all the dating books, but I just couldn't stop going for these these men at the time who were really not wanting a relationship had a partner already and maybe weren't being honest about that or Mm. you know I I fell for someone on the other side of the world like there's always this this element of unavailability they're not available to me they can't meet my needs but I just could I was just magnetically drawn to them and I couldn't work it out and so it wasn't until I I have a bit of a rebellious streak so it wasn't until I sort of (laughs) threw all the books out the window and said okay I need to find my own way I created my own process for it and that's that's what I use with clients today but I realized that I had to go back was like okay what actually happened when I was small and what did that make me believe about myself about what relationships are like did it make me feel like love is unsafe and painful and that I want to avoid it which was definitely something was there definitely there's something to dig, dig into and yeah I just basically created my own process and I think the way I do it is quite unique. I think it's important to go back to the past and look at what happened. But I think the danger with therapy is that sometimes we stay stuck there. And that's what I found with counseling after about a year. I found that I was just like basically digging up the same ground over and over and I wasn't really moving forward. So I think therapy and counseling is important for sure. But at a certain point, we need to move forward. So once I discovered that process for myself, I just felt so passionate about sharing that with other people because I know a lot of people are stuck in the same area so even though I did choose it I felt like I I, I kind of had to <laughs> yeah yeah it sort of fell into place yeah totally did yeah and um, so you specialize specifically in helping high achieving men and women overcome dating drama and building mm-hmm. relationships why do you think that high achieving people may struggle with dating yeah, I think that there are lots of different cross sections of people throughout different society and different socioeconomic backgrounds that struggle with love. But the reason I feel really drawn to work with high achievers is because I sort of identify with that. I'm a bit of an overachiever, as you can probably tell from my morning routine. It's quite extra, <laughs> and a bit intense. Um, but also, I used to work in corporate, so I became a coach back in 2014. So I've been doing this a while. Um, but before that, I was working in public relations, and I remember being that woman who was a high achiever that was really stuck in love and I also remember specifically one of my colleagues who I was living in Vancouver in Canada at the time and she was um, she used to work for government and she was one of she literally used to work for the prime minister in Canada she was brilliant intelligent so sharp and a beautiful human being and I remember sitting in her office and talking to her about a project and she was you know she was on it we're going to do this we're going to do that really bossing it and then I said, oh, by the way, how how did your date go with that guy last night? And then she grabbed her phone and started panicking and she turned into a completely different person. And she was saying, oh, my God, he cancelled. I don't know why. I haven't heard back from him. And, and it was like she was a different human being in that moment. And something about that moment said to me, something's really off here. And I recognized it in her and I recognized it in myself because at the time I was still struggling with it. But I see that in high achievers and it's almost like they're embarrassed about it because they've got a good career. They're really, really great at what they do, but they've got this like, it's almost like a dirty little secret. Like when, when I like someone, I fall apart. And so that's why I feel drawn to work with them. But the reason that is, the reason they struggle is because often the thing that makes someone strong enough to work hard and achieve, it it comes from childhood. So often they've been through a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends who are therapists no surprise (laughs) and yeah and they all they we talk about this and I say why do you think it is that a lot of entrepreneurs had a rough start in life and they're like well when you realize that you can get through the hardest time in your life and you do that alone without support because you've been abandoned um you learn to be really strong and self-reliant and they're the same qualities that make people a very successful entrepreneur 
a very successful person in corporate business. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually when I dig into it, they've been through a lot, but they they forget how much they've gone through. So they've sort of disconnected from their feelings. So I help them connect back to what they they felt. And even just me saying to them, you know, it sounds like you went through a lot when you were small. It often prompts them to, you know, have tears in their eyes. And there's often, you know, they're often, they often cry during the session because they go, God, I, I have, I've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're tough, but they forget they're actually really soft on the inside. I can really relate to that, to be honest, because when I have something in mind and when I started my business, I'm very much like sometimes tunnel vision. Like I just focus so hard that I forget that even now, like currently in business, I forget that there's so much crap going on, like background of my life. But I'm so focused on trying to, you know, make this happen, trying to be successful that I can kind of forget that. And it's not, I mean, there's pros and cons with that. I think the pros is that I can keep on going. And the con is that it will play on my mind at nighttime when you're laying down and thinking about things and, and like the way you kind of act in your relationship, maybe like you can kind of see why this is a pattern. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I hear that a lot. That's really, really common. Um, and I think it's it's worth understanding like why we're doing what we're doing. And like you say, it, it, it does go both ways. It is a bit of a double-edged sword. And I'm not saying to anyone like, don't be motivated, don't work hard because like, I've got a business. I, I'm motivated. I work hard. Um, but like, don't disconnect from your feelings and don't use work as a way to like control things because it is often about control with my clients. Um, they often want to control it because they felt so out of control and so vulnerable when they were small, they're like, it's subconscious, of course, we're not consciously thinking this, but they basically have a belief of I'm never going to go there again. I'm never going to be vulnerable again. I'm never going to allow someone to have like that control over me if they've been through abuse or whatever it might be. So they they, they really focus hard and they're like, right, I'm going to control the heck out of my business, my career, because that makes me feel safe. Mm-hmm. So that's usually what I see with my clients. Yeah. Yeah, it's very common. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to know more about the dating empowerment method that you created. I know we've kind of touched on that already, but is there yeah. anything more you can tell us about this method and what it entails? I can. I'm happy to. So it's called the Dating Drama Empowerment Method, and I created it really on the back of what we were talking about earlier when I was just really stuck and I didn't understand how to break free. And I realized that looking at the past was helpful and reading the dating books had information but like all of that in isolation wasn't helping so the method is three steps to help people overcome painful patterns in love and the three steps are number one what's the pattern number two where did it come from and number three how do we heal it so it's very very simple but it's also complex and it has layers. So I'll just walk you through a quick example. So what's the pattern? It could be I'm really drawn to unavailable partners. Okay, where did that come from? So let's look at where unavailability was a common thread when you were small. And often, you know, that their father left when they were small or their father was there, but wasn't really wanting to be there or didn't really interact with them that much. So there's this feeling of love being just out of reach. Okay, so now we know that. What do we need to do to heal it? And the healing part can differ but it often has to do with tapping into the feelings that we didn't allow ourselves to feel at the time and releasing them and there's lots of very fun exciting um sometimes strange ways that we can release emotions from our body like you know shaking Mm. punching a pillow running all kinds of things and then once we've released that emotion that we didn't allow ourselves to feel at the time because we were small and it was scary then we can look at beliefs like, okay, so what belief did that anchor into your subconscious about you, about love, about your role in relationships, about whether or not love was safe, about intimacy, about safety with other people? Like, let's look at that and let's create some new beliefs. So that's the process. And it's it's a standard process that I use with everyone, but it's also bespoke with my high-end clients, meaning it's not necessarily one size fits all. I always use that method, but it's going to be different for each person depending on their personality and what they've been through and how much therapy they've had and how long they've been on you know the, the journey and their their level of self-reflection. So I always tweak it for my private clients, but that's that's the model and the structure that I use um, for everyone. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good method actually, because like just listening to what you're saying, it just makes so much sense. So much mm-hmm 
stems from our childhood and and that past trauma or not even trauma but just you know we're products of our own environment so you know that all plays a part in who we are today as functioning adults it does I love that we're on the same page with this um it said that 95 percent of our subconscious mind is formed before the age of six And given that we don't have the ability to have a filter, our brains are in a different state. It's called theta state, which basically just means it's like we have a we have no filter. So we're told that, you know, Santa Claus is real and he delivers all these presents in one night. And we don't go, how does that work? That doesn't make sense. We go, oh, okay, I believe that because the adults are telling me. Mm. So it must be true, which is fine for things like Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. That's like benign. It's no big deal. We can grow grow out of that. But it is a problem when we're in a a household where people are screaming at each other or where our parents divorced when we were small. That that does lodge into our mind of, oh, love's not safe. Love leaves. Love will abandon me. So because so much of our subconscious mind is formed when before we were six, there's so much in that first chunk of our life in those early years that, like like you said so articulately, it really, really informs who we are as, as adults. Yes, Uh, I know so many people are going to really find this so interesting and really beneficial. So thank you so much for for sharing. You're welcome. Um, I love to know your thoughts on people who are in relationships, but keep the door slightly ajar for a possible future relationship for someone who they may claim as a friend at present. Is that a common thing that you've heard of? I don't hear it a, a ton, but it does happen. And it, when I hear that, a couple of different things come to mind. The first one is attachment styles. So there's an, atta- an attachment styles for people that don't know is basically how we form bonds in relationships. And there's mm. secure attachment, which is healthy. There's avoidant, which tends to push away. And then there's anxious, which tends to cling. And we can actually move between all of them at different times, depending on what we're going through and whether or not we're stressed and on various different things. So when someone is in a relationship but is almost keeping the door open for someone else sometimes that can be quite an avoidant attachment trait meaning we're always pining for like the phantom ex the one that got away someone over here that might be better so sometimes it can be a way of avoiding intimacy so that's something that's worth looking at if we know that's a pattern for us and the other thing to ask is are you happy in this relationship are you really happy meaning are your needs getting met do you feel respected? Is this someone you want to build with long term? Is this someone you really want to be in this partnership with? Because if you are, let's let's keep you in this partnership and build there. If you're not, maybe it's time to leave that partnership and do some deep diving internally and, and try and understand what your needs are. So that's where I would go with that, especially if that was a client, that would be the, the starting point. And I was sort of asking questions from there. Um, so yeah, I have heard of that. It's not the most common pattern, but it, it certainly can happen. Brilliant. Um, I know that you identify as bisexual, um, Mm. but you don't talk about it much out of personal choice. But seeing as we're coming up to Pride soon, I wanted to discuss um, some LGBTQ plus um, topics and ask a couple of questions that may help some of our listeners. If someone were happy, for example, in a heterosexual relationship, but had hidden desires or fleeting thoughts about being with someone of the same sex, what advice would you give to them? Um, So what I would say to someone who is starting to have feelings or attraction to the same gender, and they're maybe in a partnership right now of the opposite gender, what I would say first is it just starts with self-acceptance. Like, looking at that, looking at the feelings and saying, okay, so I'm being attracted to someone of the same gender. Can I accept that about myself? What is preventing me from accepting that about myself? What judgments and preconceived ideas are coming up when I think about that? What do I think it's going to mean about me? Right. Mm -hmm. And I would just either think on that or journal it out. And then at the end, you can just ask yourself, knowing that, what do I choose to do? What do I choose to believe? who am I going to be moving forward? And then from that place of real self-acceptance, then we can make a decision of, do I want to give this a label? Do I want to tell people about this? Do I want to share this with my partner? Do I want to share it publicly with my friends and my family? And the, the answer might be no, right? And that's okay. I don't think people should be pressured to 
be kind of out and loud and proud if they don't want to be. Mm. But it starts with the self-acceptance. The self-acceptance is the most important piece. And from there, you may choose not to talk about it publicly. But as long as you're accepting that about yourself, that's the main thing, in, in in my opinion, from my perspective. Absolutely. I think now more than ever, we're kind of living in this society where we feel like we have to explain everything to everyone. Like I see sometimes yeah. posts on social media and people are kind of like defending themselves about something or explaining why something happened or why they did something. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, why, why do you think these people deserve an explanation? Like they <laughs> yeah. you know, need to prove yourself to anyone. You know, this is just a virtual audience so the most important person like you've mentioned is you and I think as long as you can be happy inside and feel happy and accepting of who you are that's the only thing that matters I really think so I really really think so and and also like on that topic we seem to be really obsessed with like celebrities and public figures and we're like oh do you think he's gay do you think he like swings both ways and I really don't like that phrase it really rubs me up the wrong way but we're so obsessed with it or we're like oh she dates women as well what does that mean is she is she gay what's it mean like maybe they don't want to talk about it maybe they don't want to be defined by that maybe they've just accepted it and they just don't talk about it and we've got to respect that Mm -hmm. you know so yeah that's what I think about that absolutely I agree with you um, and just another question on that topic. If someone discovered um, their sexuality and wanted some advice on dating, what are some tips you could give them? You know, the tips would be similar to whether it was a um, they were dating the opposite sex. So what I found is I've coached women that date men, women that date women and women that date both genders and all genders mm. and dating is the same <laughs> Sorry really? to say it's not that different mm-hmm. um, but what I would say specifically to someone who's newly embraced that side of themselves is you might need support to go through that you might need a coach you might need um, some friends who are in the LGBT community who understand it and can talk about some other particular nuances there are obviously specific dating apps that you can use if you choose but really the main thing again is self-acceptance making sure we've healed from our past and then love is love love is love no matter what gender you're dating it's really the same whether you're dating a man or a woman or both yeah exactly I was thinking more in the sense that you know there's so much out there for heterosexual relationships I feel and mm. like support and apps and things but there's not much um about gay relationships so that's the only thing that I think yeah kind of different is the the lack of kind of support and acceptance really totally and I think some of the some of the apps are getting better like I think it's on Bumble and there's a few other ones too where you can say what's your gender and what gender are you looking for and you can fil- filter it by that so I think it's getting better um, and then there are obviously apps that are specific to LGBT people but I think we need to get to a place where like it's it's all a bit more merged and a bit more inclusive rather than like go over here for like the you know the LGBT apps like can we just actually have dating apps that include everyone you know absolutely exactly um can you tell us about some of the people who influenced your practice um and how whether that be a coach a teacher or an author who has really influenced the way you practice I love that question and I've never been asked it before and it's such a juicy question because it's it's actually so so relevant to the work that I do so some of the people that really influenced my work um, there's an author and a speaker and coach called Robert Holden um, who wrote a book called Lovability who and I prescribe that book to all of my clients because it's brilliant and he in the book it's so wonderful he goes through a list and it basically says am I in love or am I and it, it says things like am I um Am I trying to get myself validated? Am I clinging? Am I in old patterns? Am I trying to control the person? Is it love or am I dot, dot, dot? And I just really loved the way that he explains love and talked about it. And that was that his book, Lovability, was was really influential when I first started studying this work. And another person is a lady called Terry Cole, who's a psychotherapist from the United States. And she talks about boundaries and self-worth and how our childhood home really influences 
how we show up today in intimate relationships and with our boundaries and our needs. So yeah, Robert Holden and Terry Cole would be the people who've influenced me the most. Yeah, they sound like great influences and I can really see what you're saying about them in the way you practice um, Mm. experts. So that sounds really good. It's so important that we kind of get our knowledge and base our knowledge on people who are really successful and know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And what I really was attracted to by those two um, teachers and guides is that they had depth, Mm. you know, they were not scratching the surface. They're both so smart and so practiced at their craft. It wasn't some fluffy surface level, like go here and say this perfect line to this guy and flick your hair a certain way and he'll fall in love. Like it wasn't that kind of thing. And I think a lot of that is like quite manipulative anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, their work just seemed really grounded and really based in like in psychology and, and very practical so that's what I really loved about them um I often see a repeated um pattern with some friends in relationships and it's that desire or thrill to be with a bad boy um, oh yeah yeah even if it's a toxic relationship what is this <laughs> urge why do people want to be with someone who's bad <laughs> so this is such a juicy question Michelle there's so many things I could say um so I actually have a video on my YouTube channel and it's called why you're hot for the villain and it talks about this in the film and tv like why is it we always go for the bad boy in movies like what's going on there so I'll touch on that in a second because I think that's a very juicy topic um and one that's quite near and dear to my heart so there's a couple of things at play here like when someone's going for the bad boy there's a lot of patterns going on within them where they part of them doesn't feel like they deserve to be treated well so there's definitely some self-worth things sometimes it can be a little bit like um, there's an archetype that I call miss drama which is the type of people that like to get themselves into quite dramatic entanglement so that they can they can basically have all the attention on them going oh my god I can't believe he has a wife it's like well you know he did like this is not a surprise you're aware of this So what's happening there is they're actually trying to meet their own need for affection and being seen and being heard, but they're doing it in a really dysfunctional way by dating someone who's terrible and then kind of pretending like they didn't know. So then they get lots of sympathy and lots of, you know, empathy and it's a way of them getting their needs met. So that's one thing. But the other thing, and this is going to the, you know, why we're sometimes drawn to villains in movies and, and television series is there's there's a lot of um I'm going to talk about sexuality here a little bit so I hope that's okay there's a lot there's a lot of um connections between the feeling of fear and the feeling of arousal in the body so when we see someone doing really bad things it's quite exciting so Mm -hmm. it could just be that once we're like healthy and emotionally steady and stable we want to date someone who's a good man a good woman a good person but maybe they have a slight edge behind closed doors you know maybe they have a little bit of a dark side that they like to tap into um, when you're together and when you're alone and that's something you can play with um so really it's to me it's another aspect of sexuality it's like okay so do you actually want someone that's a really good person but that maybe is a little bit of a bad boy (laughs) in the bedroom that is a little bit more of a safer place to play with that knowing that they're a good person and they're healthy they're emotionally healthy but maybe there's a little bit more of a play that can happen behind closed doors so that's that's my perspective on that absolutely or you know get with a good guy and do something thrilling like I don't know take absolutely. up jiu-jitsu. <laughs> absolutely totally there are lots of options yeah <laughs> um If someone had just come out of a long-term relationship, do you think they should take a break or start dating again as soon as possible? It really depends. And I think, again, I go back to patterns. So like, what's someone's pattern? Do they jump from relationship to relationship? And if so, would it be better to have a bit of a circuit breaker and just take, you know, a couple months to just be with yourself and process it and go, okay, so what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about that relationship? What am I feeling? How can I allow myself to feel that and really grieve the relationship and really honor the time that I spent with that person who I loved, like giving yourself time to process it. I suppose the other thing is, (coughs) excuse me, if you are the type of person who ends a relationship and then stays single for a long time, then maybe that's a pattern to look at. Maybe there's a pattern of holding on to the ex and not wanting to move forward. So again, I think it comes back to our patterns, but if I had to give like a, 
of meat and potatoes answer, I would say I think everyone should take a little bit of time out between relationships just to understand and unpack what happened so that we can move forward and hopefully be a better version of ourselves, not just keep repeating the same patterns over and over again. I absolutely agree because I feel like these are all lessons that we can learn. Mm. And like you, I think you touched on earlier, journaling is such a great way to reflect on that and yeah. think about, you know, what didn't work. Is it me? Because sometimes it's so easy to blame someone else, but sometimes you have to have that internal reflection and look at what you've done in the relationship too, even though I think that's really hard sometimes. It's really hard to look at yourself. Um, but you know, if you do, that could be so beneficial going forward. Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. Um personal responsibility has become almost like a controversial topic in our time. Um, and, and I don't mean to, to blame anyone that's been through anything really hard. Like, of course, if the other person's treated as badly or cheated, that's on them, right? That's totally on them. But also we get to reflect, like you said, look at things and go, okay, so what did I do? What did I miss? How can I actually use this as an opportunity to make sure that doesn't happen again? Um, how can I look at how I showed up in the relationship? What is it I'm repeatedly doing? So yeah, it's personal responsibility and also not going too far to the other side of it and saying, oh, it's all my fault. Well, no, there was two people there. So what's your part? And what's their part? And how can you take your part in it and learn and become become better next time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can you tell us about any of your favorite relation success stories from any of your clients you've worked with? Of course, withholding their identity, but do you have any favorite stories? I do. I do. I love my clients so much and I'm, I'm so excited to share some of their journeys. So um, there's, there's two women I have in mind. Um, the first one, she started working with me last summer and she came to me and she was really caught up in a man who really wasn't choosing her. She thought it was a very like special soul to soul uh, connection. She called it a twin flame. And she was just really, really hung up on this person. We, we worked together and she also took a course of mine and worked through the modules. Every day she listened to one or two videos, did the journey prompts. And she she graduated herself from the program, which is so funny because she has the course for life. So she doesn't have to graduate, but she emailed me. She's like, I'm just graduating myself from the program now. And that was in May of this year. And now she is, she's getting her own place because she was previously living with family. She is absolutely flying in her career. She has got promotion. She is traveling all the time and she's really, really happy. Mm. And though she's not in a relationship, she's like a different woman. She's so empowered and radiant and feels really grounded in her body as a woman and she's yeah she's so radiant and so powerful and I just feel so proud of her and then the other client success story I had a lady who worked with me who she was in a marriage that she wasn't really happy with and she came to me and she said Cheryl I need to know whether or not I should leave my marriage and I said look I, I can't tell you whether or not to leave your marriage but I can help you to understand why it is you're not trusting yourself to make that decision. So we worked on that. And there was a lot of things that happened when she was small, where she was kind of gaslit by her family and it caused her to not trust herself. So we healed that. And then ultimately, after we stopped working together, she did leave the marriage. And I got a message from her last month and she's found the love of her life. And she said, I've known him for 20 years. I've known him for a long time, but he just came back into my life and we're so happy. And she sent me a picture of them and I almost wanted to cry. It was so beautiful. So they're two of my favorite stories. One is the lady who isn't in a relationship, but is so happy and free. And the other is one who left a relationship that really wasn't serving her and has now found the love of her life. So I just... I really love both of their journeys. It was a real honor to help them. I feel like I'm getting goosebumps just listening. No, honestly, I love to hear like successful stories like that, especially the empowerment one as well. Um, It must be so wonderful for you to hear those stories as well, knowing that you've had or played a part in, in helping people like that. It must be such a good feeling. It is. It's lovely. And I I had a question the other day from a a new friend of mine. She said, oh, do you get invited to a lot of weddings? And I said, Mm -hmm. you know, not yet because they're still quite early on in the relationship. But I am hoping that this this turns into a lot of weddings for me. Oh, (laughs) that would be amazing. amazing. Yeah. I love it. 
Um, so let's move on to discussing the crazy cat lady theme. What yeah. are your thoughts on this and why is this stereotype so damaging? Well, it just seems like um, a way to shame people for who they are and what they love and how they like to live their lives. So the, the stereotype really for me is this idea of like, oh, if you're in your 30s and you live on your own and you have a cat, it somehow means something about you and somehow reflects on your worth as a person which I think is nonsense. And what I've found is that people who love animals, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Michelle, like they have the biggest hearts and mm. animals can really help us to drop into our hearts. And like, there's nothing cuter than if your cat's doing something really silly and it just makes you laugh and you're so present and you're not worried about things. You're just feeling playful and joyful. And that's, that's a positive thing. So I mean, self-acceptance seems to be the theme of my conversation today. Yeah. But again, I think it comes back to like accepting, like I really love cats. I think they're wonderful, majestic animals. And maybe that means like my next partner probably is going to have to like cats. He's probably going to be a cat man and that's fine or a cat woman. Um, but either way, um, yeah, it's just knowing that, you know, I have a cat and that's beautiful and it doesn't mean anything about myself. Exactly. I think that there's like sometimes when I speak to people and I used to be like this, Cheryl, that's the thing. Like when I first like started this company and people asked what I did, I was almost not embarrassed, but maybe a little bit to say, oh, I've got a cat sitting company. And people who don't really know, they're like, oh, what's that? Like, what do you mean cats? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then you're like a little bit embarrassed because it's just so niche. And like, you know, not everyone knows or not everyone feels the same way about cats or animals as you. Yeah. So then you feel like, oh, does that make me weird? You know? Yeah. 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 I think that people understand it with dogs more, but they don't understand it as much with cats. But they're like, I think all animals are the same. I mean, I'm vegan and I'm not going to get on like my vegan like high horse, but I think think all animals are essentially the same. Like whether you're talking about a cat or a dog or a horse or a pig or a cow like they're all creatures they all feel they all have personalities um I'm not saying have a pet cow by any means but my, my point is you know cats and dogs are not that different they're both like we value them we love them and we take care of them you know exactly you mentioned that if we embrace our love for our feline friends this could help us open our hearts understand ourselves better and as a result may help or inform us about the type of partner we desire I would love you to unpack that a little bit more because I find that so interesting yeah so what I find generally is most people that like cats tend to be quite introverted and most people that like dogs tend to be quite extroverted I know that is a generalization but I do find that to be the case most of the time so it it just informs us of another aspect of our personality and I also find that particularly with people who are single and who live on their own it especially if you you know you work for yourself or you work from home or you're very career-minded it can be very easy to become quite um almost selfish and to only have to worry about ourselves and you know maybe work but having a cat or or indeed a dog or anything but but cats particularly we have to be home for them we have to take care of them and it's almost like we learn to put someone before ourselves we learn to almost in a strange way be in relationship with another being to share our space with another being and to kind of learn what that's like it can be very very good for single people to be able to think about someone else's needs and someone else's world and that someone else actually needs them and loves them and greets them when they get home it can be a really beautiful thing and the other thing and I I kind of touched on this briefly but I'll unpack it a little bit more is that it really informs what kind of relationship we want you know Um, if I'm going to have a partner who has a dog what does that look like how are we going to then meld our worlds together are they someone who has a cat as well? Are they someone who likes cats? What does that look like? Is it important to me that they really love animals? And also, I really think animals are like a litmus test, like they really understand energy. And so if I introduced Mowgli, my my son, <laughs> my furry child, if I introduced him to a partner and Mowgli was like really not liking them, like he picks up on energy. So I'd be like, mm, what's going on here that I might have missed? 
But if Mowgli was like really loved them and was really affectionate around them, I'd say this is a good human. So I think animals can also be quite a good test of who is a bad egg or not. Absolutely. I did that with my relationship as well. And luckily, oh, did we, you? yeah, we're eight years strong now. Um, he it was important for me that I was with someone who was an animal lover, but yeah. specifically cats, because yeah. I've actually been like, and I've dated people who haven't been very kind or or haven't been like um loving of cats or appreciative of them and I just felt like that was always in the back of my mind like as much as I was attracted to them and there were other things that we may have in common the cat thing was always in the back of my mind like how can you not love cats and like I don't think I could be with someone like long term if they didn't yeah, I totally agree. And I think it, it also goes back to like like preferences, like the things that we like. Like I certainly couldn't date someone who wasn't a massive nerd. Because it's just <laughs> I'm like, okay, Marvel or DC. And if you don't know what I'm talking yeah. about, we can't even have the conversation. Like, <laughs> like, can we talk about the Avengers? Can we talk about Wonder Woman? Like, can we go there? Like, it's just something that I'm really passionate about. And I really want to get into cosplay, which is like when people like dress up as the characters from like comic books and film and TV. I think it's so nerdy and so delicious. <laughs> and so fun and so cool and so it would be really nice to have someone who understood that and maybe they weren't into it but they understand it and they accept it and they can meet me halfway so I think it's the same with with anything like it's the same with cats like do they understand how amazing cats are and even if they're not a cat person maybe they'll get to love our, mm. our, our furry child and that's something it's like it is almost like having a child like this is part and parcel of me like I'm not going to get rid of my son like he's exactly he's part of my life so yeah that, that's the way it is definitely um do you think that the behaviors of our pets or cats may also be a reflection of ourselves um, and if so why <laughs> I'm laughing so much as I hear that because yes <laughs> absolutely is the answer yeah and I've never thought about it this way but um so Mowgli, my boy, is, I often say to him things like, God, Mowgli, you're so stubborn. And then I say that and I go, I'm stubborn. <laughs> so am I just like really not accepting that I'm really stubborn and I'm like projecting it onto my cat? Yeah. Um, so he's very stubborn and he's also very headstrong. He's completely his own person. If he doesn't want to do something, like he's just not going to do it mm. at all, like more so than most cats. And I'm like, oh, I'm like that. So it's really interesting to me that he does have some characteristics that, I have and I think if I was born a cat I would probably be like him I'd have the same streak of stubbornness and being headstrong and determined and then the other thing is sometimes people adopt cats or dogs who have a similar backstory to them mm. so sometimes we rescue an animal that's been abandoned and we were abandoned when we were small mm. so it's actually really healing to be able to then give this little creature a really loving experience and that's almost like reparative and healing for us absolutely I completely agree with you I think I'm like that as well like I mm -hmm. love like the rescues um I'd love to adopt one day like as in human children as well yeah. as pets um oh. because you know I think it's just yeah a part of me just wanting to nurture um you know animals and people who may not have had you know that that great start in life so yeah. yeah you said that so beautifully I love that you said nurture it really is nurturing and and nurturing is such a key element of, of healing all of this of accepting ourselves of you know healing our patterns in love accepting that we love cats it's just like nurture is such a healing thing and that's of course the mother energy so if we didn't have a great relationship with our mum or if our mum was maybe not as motherly as we would like maybe she was a bit cold and a bit distant that nurture that we can give to ourselves now or to our pets it's so healing and so nourishing and it's so good for us mm, definitely um, and going back to relationships do you think that actually getting a pet together because I've noticed this a lot um, especially with my cat sitting clients so we'll have like a young couple and they'll get like a pet together either a cat or a dog before they decide that they want to have children together maybe one day do you think that it's a good idea to understand your relationship on a deeper level if you have a pet together 
Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Especially if you've decided to like raise a kitten together. Like I really think mm. that's going to tell you a lot about a person. Don't they say like you can tell a lot about a person by like, how they handle tangled Christmas tree lights, bad yeah. weather and lost luggage? I think you should add to that, like raising a kitten. Like that's really going to tell you who someone is, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it would be, it's a great way of, of bringing you, yourself closer to each other, getting to know each other. And really understanding, like, how would you raise this little being together? So if people are thinking about having children, I think that is a great place to start. Absolutely. Mm, Definitely. Um, I'd love to know more about your own life and journey with so far. Yeah. um, So I got Mowgli in about 2014. I was living in Vancouver in Canada at the time. And he was actually... Uh, I adopted Mowgli from my friends. So I remember when I was moving house and my friend's husband was helping me move because his partner, Jen, was heavily pregnant at the time. And we just sat there in my old apartment. It was empty. There was just a sofa in the room. That was all. We were sat on the sofa. It was like July 1st, Canada Day. We were sweating. It was hot. And he sat there and he said, you know, I'm going to get Jen a kitten. I really think it'd be nice for her to have a kitten because I'm out at work at the construction site all the time. And She's at home on her own, pregnant. It's just so nice for her to have a kitten. I said, that is a brilliant idea. So they got a kitten. This kitten was gorgeous. And then Jen had her daughter and then her daughter became a toddler. And then you don't have a pregnant lady and a kitten. Now you have a toddler and a cat. And the toddler and the cat were not getting along. So this cat was Mowgli. And I had always looked after him when they'd gone on holiday. I always like was like their cat sitter mm. and they brought him around. And I loved him. And she, I saw a post on Facebook where she said, you know, it's sadly we're going to have to rehome Mowgli because he's really not getting along with Avalon, our daughter. Mm. Um, and I, I just called her right away and I said, I'll have him. And she said, but your apartment doesn't allow cats. And I said, I'll move house. Wow. <laughs> I'll move house. I need Mowgli in my life. So I had. I adopted Mowgli from her. Um, it's very difficult for her. She was, you know, very upset that she had to give him away. Um, so I kept him in my apartment for six months in the apartment where I wasn't meant to have cats. <laughs> and then I moved. And then I moved back to England and he came with me. So, yeah, it was really important to me that when I moved back to England that Mowgli came with me. And, uh, yeah, his ticket was expensive. I spent, like, double the amount on his flight than mine <laughs> He had to come with me and he's with me now in England. Oh, amazing. What kind of cat is he, by the way? He is, um, I always say he's a Canadian cat. And people are like, what's that? I don't know, he's just born in Canada. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he's just an orange tabby, like bog oh. standard orange tabby. But he's beautiful. He's got really beautiful markings. He's got these little like lightning bolts by his eyes and it's like perfectly symmetrical. Mm. He's a really handsome chap. Um, and because I've known him since he was a kitten, it's just really special. You know, he's eight now and just having had him as a constant in my life and seeing him grow and like really settle into the Lake District and live his best life here. It's been really, mm-hmm. really satisfying for me and really lovely to witness. Well, it sounds like it was meant to be. And it sounds like, you know, it was the best option. At least like your friend knows that he's in good hands and with yeah. someone who's known him. That's so important. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, my friends that I adopted him from, they've now got two children and they're, wow. they're daughter is eight now and they've got another daughter who's now four so obviously they've you know moved on and progressed in building their family but they actually were in a house fire about two years ago mm. and I remember messaging Jen and saying hey are you okay and they had like a crowdfunder and I donated to help them get you know their, their belongings back oh but I remember thinking you know if Moni had stayed with them he might not have made it out mm. and I just thought well I got goosebumps I like started to cry because I realized that like actually he may not have made it out of that house fire and nobody could have known that was coming, but like how fortunate that he's with me now. And like, it's almost like I see like two different like branches of a timeline. He just, we went in a different direction. He's with me, but it could have been very different through nobody's fault, but um, he could have, you know, met a very different, different end for sure. Exactly. Um, What has being a cat owner taught you about yourself? Oh, that's such a lush question. (laughs) What has it taught me about myself? Probably that I'm more patient and more loving than I realized. Mm. Um, And that I also, 
I think this is true of all of us, but I think I'm really at my best self when I'm with my pet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like the the most loving, generous, open, happy, joyful version of myself. Um, and don't they say that? They say that about dogs, but I think the same is true of cats. Like, um, be the person your dog thinks that you are, or you know, be the person your your cat believes that you are. Um, yeah, it's really taught me to be more patient, more loving. And um, Mowgli's been really, really great for my well-being. I, mm. I struggled with depression and anxiety many, many years ago, which now through cold water exposure and breath work, I, I feel that that's really not cured me, but certainly kept things at bay and really helped me. Um, but when I was struggling, you know, Mowgli was there and it was just so comforting. Like if you're, you're, you're you know, lying on the bathroom floor in tears and then this beautiful creature comes up and kind of like nuzzles against you and almost says, are you okay? like having that in that moment was so meaningful to me. And so his impact on my like mental health and my well-being has been huge. And I think after that moment when I was, you know, really in quite a deep depression and he like came up to me and to see if I was okay, it just changed everything for me, honestly. And I don't think I've ever really told this story, but it changed everything. And I realized like I have to protect this creature. I have to protect him. I have to provide him with so much love and such a good life because he deserves it and he was there for me when I was in a really low place and I think a lot of cat owners are going to be able to relate to that those private moments when you're alone but your cat sees you and they're affectionate and they comfort you it's such a beautiful thing and I think it teaches us unconditional love and that's so important and so healing for all of us I couldn't agree with you more, honestly. I feel exactly the same, Cheryl. Um, yeah. It's that silence, you know, because you know they're not they're not talking like other humans, but they're there, they're present, yeah. and they just want to be near you. Um, even yeah. if it, even if you you have a cat and it's not a lap cat that wants to sit on you, just their presence, just the fact that they're there, is so meaningful. And- yeah, and they're, they're so loving and they're so intuitive. And like, I think we all need a little bit more of that energy in our lives. Absolutely. But um, it was a pleasure talking to you, honestly. I feel like I've learned so much just oh. speaking to you. I've reflected on my life and and I have feel like I have a greater appreciation for the cats that I'm around as well. I lost my cat, sadly, last year um, in November. Oh. Yeah, um, but like I have so many cats around me all the time, Cheryl. I feel like I'm like uh, an owner of a hundred cats because they're they're living the dream. What can I say? I am. I am. so healing it's so beautiful thank you again for talking to me it's been wonderful um but lastly if our listeners want to find out more about you your accounts online your youtube where can they find you so people can just google me and whatever comes up is different places that you'll find me but um you can find me on instagram and twitter my handles there is cheryl j muir and i also have a youtube channel where i put out new videos every week and it's youtube.com slash cheryl muir and my website is cheryl muir.com thank you so much again cheryl it's been lovely this has been so much fun thank you for having me you're welcome goodbye bye Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have some amazing guests on the show who share such invaluable advice, stories and inspiration. Can you do me a favour? If you like this podcast, please could you rate, review and subscribe. This will help us reach people who can benefit from listening. Another way you could help is if you could tell a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast too. See you next week. Goodbye.